Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Alex. And this is Connor. Welcome to the Sales Engineering Podcast. All right, all right. We have a great episode today with Josh and Matt, solution engineers at Zendesk and Lever. They also co-founded the SEs of Toronto organization. So any SEs and TO, definitely check that out. Josh and Matt have been working as remote employees for years, and we get into some great best practices towards the end of the episode. This conversation is relevant now more than ever, as much of the world is working from home and will continue to work in a distributed way moving forward. So get ready to learn from two incredible SEs. Welcome to the edge of sales engineering. Hey, Josh and Matt, welcome to the show. Super excited to talk to you both today. Likewise, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, Alex and I are super excited to have this conversation. Great. So jumping into things, why don't you each tell us um, and our listeners a bit about who you are and your individual paths into the SE role? Josh, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my path to SE, of course, you know, everyone has their own interesting path. Um, I think at a, at, a, at a kind of overarching theme in my life and my professional career, I found that I really like helping people understand technology. And so what I started was, was actually in software support, answering phones, helping people off the ledge, right? Getting them to kind of get back into the software and figure their problems out. And from there I moved into consulting and uh, I saw a lot of value in those roles. I, I really felt proud about the work I was doing and the things that I was helping people accomplish with technology. One thing I also noticed was that there's so many downstream effects when someone has sold the wrong piece of technology. And you especially see it in consulting when someone tries to implement the product and you're like, oh, I wasn't sold this or you weren't sold the right thing. They get shat on for, for lack of a better word. And same thing happens with support, right? Support is often trying to fix the problems of something that could have been addressed right at the beginning of kind of this whole customer journey, if you will. And so that's where I started to naturally be pulled into the solution consulting or the sales engineering role where I can help people the same way I've been helping people, but earlier on in the cycle. And so that's where I was led to. Um, I've been an SC in the legal automation space, in the financial automation space. And now I work for a company called Zendesk. We do customer experience software. Um, and so that's where I am now. And that's how I got here. Wow. Yeah, that's a really cool story and incredible amount of empathy and uh, customer adv advocacy there. What about you, Matt? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into the SE role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I actually took a bit of a different path to, to kind of landing as an SE. Um, I actually started as someone who was completing RFPs and doing demos as a subject matter expert um, for a fintech company that was looking to pivot into the um, higher education accreditation space. So a very different vertical for the company, um, very much so not a product that they were putting much thought or, or care into, but it really gave me this cool foundation where I was writing the RFPs for the core product. So I really got my, my feet and kind of cut my teeth on budgeting, planning, forecasting solutions, um, and really kind of through a couple haphazard, you know, information sessions, ended up becoming a partner manager slash SE slash account manager um, hybrid role. Uh, and from there, I finally like found my place a little bit. And so I moved to another organization selling maintenance technology. Um, so a really big pivot from, from financial uh, services and fintech. Uh, and there, you know, again, working my way up 
kind of through the solutions engineering role into kind of a bit of a solutions architect and partner manager uh, capacity. Uh, and now at Lever, which is a talent relationship management platform uh, in the HR space, um, really found my niche here and, and found a good footing um, as a solutions engineer, um, delivering demonstrations, doing you know proof of concept and proof of value. Um, so very much so I've jumped from industry to industry, um, similar to Josh, um, but very, very happy that I found SE because I feel like it is the best place for me uh, as a salesperson. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's great to hear. And you both actually, it looks like your founders were involved in the, like the SEs of Toronto and organization in Toronto. Um, just curious, what's the why behind the organization? What are the goals of the organization and why might some SEs or aspiring SEs in Toronto why should they get more involved with their local organizations like the one you're running? Yeah, great question. I'll take that one. Um, SCTO is really a place, a community for all of us SEs to get together. And the value in having it localized in Toronto, and there are, are other branches. There's an SE of NY, of Boston, et cetera. The reason we started the SEFTO is because Toronto has this, this emerging technology ecosystem. We, we've have our unicorns, we're building more, and all of these companies need SEs, and SEs is becoming a more mature profession. And so we needed a community to kind of rally around um, where we can share things like thought leadership, career advice, connect with one another, and specifically cater to, again, that Toronto community. Now, why would someone wanna join? It's a great place to meet other SEs. It's a great place to learn other knowledge, tips and tricks of how to be an SE, um, it'll be, a place that we can share content much like the content we're creating here and especially i think one big driver is getting exposure to local se opportunities so we want to actually help people build their profession and actually help them get placed in these emerging companies that are looking for um, amazing vetted se talent that's really awesome i uh i love hearing about the innovative things that the se community is doing really across the world um, and I think the SEU organization in Toronto is is a really awesome example of that. So really excited to see some some uh, more global representation and uh, hear more about the organization. So this episode really has always been relevant, but it's now more than ever relevant since we're all working from home. But I think some of the core questions and topics we want to cover today are really how can SEs actually stand out? How can we build our brand uh, connection, trust and partnership, or really just have that, you know, being around type feeling with your teammates in this remote environment away from potentially the, the larger offices. And, you know, this could be for individuals that are in satellite offices away from leaders or in completely remote settings. So Matt and Josh, how about tell us a little bit more about how the distributed or remote experience at Lever and Zendesk are experiences uh, are specifically, and maybe just talk a little bit about some of the things that are good that is occurring with your satellite culture at your companies, and also some things that other organizations or companies could potentially learn from. Josh, yeah. do you want to start us off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a little bit about the remote experience being at Zendesk. So it's been great. Uh, I, I love it. You know, we were already ready for things like coronavirus because we already had all the technologies in place. And technology is so important, right? If you aren't using technologies that allow for remote collaboration, then moving to a remote world is, of course, so much harder. There's also a cultural piece of it uh, that we have to address to move um, 
to remote space, but having technology in place is really your first starting step. So we use tools like Slack, like Zoom, like Google Docs um, to collaborate online, interface with our customers. It also helps that Zendesk itself is also a cloud-based tool. So I can build my demo presentations, I can deliver remotely, I can do everything I need to do without needing to be in any specific physical space. And so prior to this, I was working for a company where we did all of our demos in person with an on-prem software. So I'm going from you know law firm to law firm doing these demonstrations. And it really only allows me to do almost like one demo a day. And that doesn't really help scale, especially when we work in the commercial segment. And so being able to do demos remotely allows me to do much higher number of demos per week. So I can do, you know, if, if I needed to, like what my capacity is, I'd say maybe 10 demos a day, right? If I was to doing an hour demo with prep, I can do that all from the comfort of my home. That's a lot so of demos. That, that is, that is a lot of demos. <laughs> I, hope, I hope my manager isn't gonna listen to this and be like, oh, you could do 10? <laughs> Did I hear 20? Can you do 20 now? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's been really great to be at an organization like Zendesk that is set up both technology-wise, both product-wise, service-wise, and then also culturally-wise to really let me be remote, right? And we talk about what does Zendesk do differently that other customers should kind of take on uh, mm -hmm. or other organizations take on. And that's why I want to talk about things like high trust, high enablement, high collaboration, right? Zendesk gives me the trust to operate independently. They enable me with all the training and resources that whenever I'm stuck, I know where I need to go to get answers to this question. Is it specific Slack channels? Is it a specific portal with information? All that stuff really well laid out. And so because we, on top of that, start to bring in things like a very collaborative selling process, even though I'm alone and I might not see a coworker in person for the entire year, I've never actually felt alone. I always feel like I'm connected. I can always feel like I have the ability to reach out to someone. I have those direct lines of communication to people like my managers and my VP and my directors, which is great. And in a weird way, and I think I've, I've heard this a lot, it's actually allowed for a higher degree of connectivity of over communication than what you had previously. And that's exactly what this world was supposed to be about. This is not supposed to be limiting. It's supposed to actually be advantageous uh, because this is the world of technology. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And I, I am gonna wanna go a little deeper into that. It sounded like there was uh, one component of, of you feeling connected as a remote SEs. There's this culture element and then the other part is the technology that you're using is enabling this yes. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what about yourself, Matt? Anything you want to share around that same question from the Ulever experience? Yeah, I, th I think at a, at a personal level, you know, it's incredible to have a vibrant like Slack or Teams community where, you know, at any hour of the day, someone's posting and it's not just work related. It's music, it's fun, it's random, it's culture, right? It's, it makes you feel like you're in person and you're having that water cooler gossip, but you're using an instant messaging platform. Um, and with that, I think that it helps to break down that feeling that you're that you're remote and that you're not in an office. You, you could be sitting right next to a coworker at a desk, but you're still using Slack to chat back and forth just because that's mm -hmm. how you did it previously anyways. 
Um, so I think that having that vibrant, you know, IM culture, um, even just leaving space, right, for informal meetups, I think is incredible. And so having that culture of trusting your people to work autonomously and to not be eavesdropping in on it and not making sure that everything goes through these checks and balances, you just create this like environment and this space in a virtual community where people can get together and they can chat and they can feel free to like have a drink right? And all jump on a Zoom and play a game or do something like that. Like that culture doesn't exist in a lot of companies. Um, and that's what I love about Lever is that they very purposely try and make it as easy as possible to adjust to this new normal. Um, like, for example, we got an ergonomic spending account, right? Which was for you to set up your home office in a way that you felt comfortable, which I just haven't seen other companies do. Like virtual happy hours, you know, celebrating company milestones. We had one today. Like we do an all hands every two weeks. So it's super cool to be in a, a setting where you're seeing your executive staff, you're seeing your leadership team, you're seeing your coworkers, where there's a ton of kudos, a ton of praise. Um, so just organizationally, you know, it's, it's set up in a way that it's meant to feel natural. Um, it also helps incredibly, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but hiring early birds on the West Coast and night owls on the East Coast, it makes it really easy to forget the clock a little bit. Like if, mm. I, if I have to start my day at 11 a.m. Eastern, but I'm going to do demos till seven or 8 PM EST. It doesn't really matter. It's just kind of like that flex space. Um, and then having, you know, the ability to take as much PTO as you need. Um, you know, you don't really mind if you bleed into, you know, the 40, 50 hour a week mark, because you know, the following week, you might just take the Friday off and you might not disconnect from work. You might still be on Slack chatting, right? Cause you're just like connected to the pulse. And I think that even in an in-person office setting, you don't have that level of connectivity. So somehow lever just, organically created this environment where people want to be tuned in and they want to be connected. Um, and so that would be kind of a message that I would have for other kind of leaders in the space is it's not impossible. Like even with people on paternity and maternity leave that are still, you know, dialing into calls and showing pictures of their kids when they're born, like that just goes to show that that's your family. That's just not your work group. Uh, and I think that's really special. Wow. Yeah. A lot, a lot of great things you, you touched on. There were definitely a lot of those same things that Josh mentioned themes around trust, enablement, collaboration, and culture. Uh, but you shared something that I'd never crossed my mind that I thought was so fascinating, uh, hiring early birds on the West Coast and, <laughs> and night owls on the East Coast, how that might create a, yeah, a bigger time window where people are just online and able to, to connect and get work done. That's super cool. So let's dive a little deeper into uh, two core function of an SE um, or, or being a remote SE or a distributed SE and break this into two categories. There's onboarding and then the, there is executing, doing your day job as an SE. So starting with SE onboarding and, and onboarding as a remote sales engineer, uh, what are your thoughts around you know, best ways for uh, remote SEs to ramp up, to, to ask questions, to get help? Um, what can leaders or enablement teams, AE partners, uh, anything you could share that they might that might help them make this process a bit smoother for onboarding uh, new teammates? I, I think there's a ton of great like self-guided tools out there. Um, you know, I think that onboarding, especially when you get into a role where it's more autonomous or where you kind of have to go in and learn the industry, learn the tool. Um, I think there's some great like checklist type tools, but also things that introduce like formative assessments right along the way. I think that's a good way to check in. And so you almost have these internal pseudo certifications um, that help people immerse themselves in the tool and in the culture. And um, 
Yeah, that's, that's what I've seen work really well. Can you expand a bit on a formative assessment? Sure. So if you're, if like when you kind of drill back into like college, right, where you're going through and if you're just writing one exam at the end of trying to digest all this content, it's like drinking from the fire hose at the beginning and then you might drop off and then you kind of get this like test at the end and it's meant to cover everything that you've ever learned. Whereas if you're really asking people to apply that knowledge throughout, you know, you can ask more industry or domain specific questions and then quiz people and test them on it to make sure that they're certified and that they're grasping the content. Because um, there's no reason that it doesn't have to be a more formalized education training type regimen. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, laissez-faire and, and loose either. Um, I think there's a really good uh, mechanism there to leverage tools that exist in the market um, to test your SEs and make sure that they're ramping and onboarding um, in a way that makes sense and aligns with your value frameworks and, you know, with your selling approaches and whatnot. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that's great to hear. Thanks for expanding on that. Josh, is there anything you'd add to uh, this topic around onboarding as a remote sales engineer? Yeah, certainly. So I remember like the first two jobs I had, there just was no training and like in te technology spaces, like sometimes onboarding, you're lucky to have onboarding, especially if you come from the startup world. It's just like you learn on the fly, right? And so Zendesk had a much more defined learning and onboarding kind of process and training process where we had, of course, like an, a learning management system. You had your courses, you click through them, you do it all kind of by yourself. And there's some tests that check in. Um, but I think the most valuable parts of my onboarding that allowed me to get up to speed really fast, one was a buddy system. And it seems like such like a, a basic concept, but it helps so much. You get someone that's actually going to be your internal champion and mentor to make sure you're hitting the right things. And it just helps you grow so much faster, more than clicking through a, an online course ever would. And then on top of that is shadowing. I'm a big proponent of shadowing. So every company has as Matt was kind of referring to us, a different sales process or a different way to sell. And some are at the stage where they're still doing features functionalities and that's, there's a time and place for that, sure. Some are at the value selling level and some are, are big on storytelling and journey and persona, uh, persona journeys and things of that nature. And so being able to shadow someone can get you into the gear of what that company wants you to do really quickly. And it gives you kind of a really good starting point of this is what demos should be and this is where I have now a perfect example of what a demo should be like in the wild. Now, how do I add Josh on top of that? How do I add my personality and everything I bring from my experience and cross all the different places I've worked and the different skill sets I have? How do I build on top of that? And so those are the two things that I think have worked really well, a buddy system and uh, a lot of shadowing. And the one thing I'll add to that is that shadowing isn't just about onboarding. You can shadow at the beginning when you join a company, that's great but it's always good to continue shadowing as you grow because everyone's growing, right? And the person who you shadowed originally, six months down the road, they've now grown too. And so you're still, you know, basing your idea of what a good demo is on six months, on them six months in the past. So keep shadowing, keep having those interactions. It makes it so much more fun where I shadow someone now and I know how to demo really well. And we can actually talk after and like, wow, I love how you did that. I'm going to build that in. Hey, this is what I did when I was in that case. And like, we're growing so much together. Again, having that collaborative community and sort of culture helps that a lot and, and will really drive that home. Yeah, I really love both of those points, Josh. Uh, the buddy system uh, and, and the shadowing. Have you seen outside of an individual wanting to drive this uh, shadowing behavior, uh, have you seen any successful team programs that have scaled 
uh, shadowing because what I've seen is maybe certain individuals want to shadow, but and certain individuals don't want to shadow. So have you seen any any team elements or or systems that have enabled this across a, a greater organization of, of SEs or teammates? You are spot on. That's exactly how it is. Some people want to shadow. Some people want to be shadowed. And then there's other people who don't want either of those. And so for me, it's something that I had to dig into individually and be like, hey, can I shadow you? And <laughs> let me shadow you. I'll let you shadow, shadow me. It's like one of those weird things. Um, but that, that's, how, that's how I've seen it work so far. I have kind of like, I do think that if I, I mean, it's something that, that I would totally suggest anyone who's leading an SC team, build that into your program, build that into your check-ins, right? We have organizations that have like evaluating programs for scoring an SC as they grow and making sure we can determine what they should be working on, build in shadow sessions into that. And actually, if you're a manager, you should probably be shadowing every now and then too, um, but approaching it again, a more collaborative way, not uh, I'm going to grade you on if your demo is good or not. Right. That's a, that, that's a really great point you just mentioned about building it into your check-ins, because if as a leader, you start asking that question regularly to your, uh, to your SEs, they're eventually going to start shadowing as, um, yeah. as it relates to them. And wow. that should almost be part of performance, right? Sorry to cut you off there, Alex. No, no. I, I, oh, no, great. Agree. I think it's, I think it's interesting, you know, that, a lot of SE leaders will sometimes like put the onus on the individual to go like learn the content, they'll certify them, they go forward um, at Lever specifically, you know, my director is really good at kind of checking in on, hey, do you have any calls that you want me to listen to where you think, you know, you didn't do a great job or anything you're proud of that you just want to share with the team. And if you have that culture, it almost kind of starts at the top and works its way down where if you're open to critical feedback and sharing, not only when you're at your highest high and closing deals and, you know, getting praise, but also, you know, here's where I dropped the ball. Like everybody has an off day. And I think that if you can build in a culture where it's okay to admit that, you know, you didn't do a great job and that you want that feedback, it's a lot easier to build that in at the beginning of a program being set up than it is to try and force it on, you know, a dozen people and say, hey, we're all of a sudden going to start coaching and listening to each other's calls. So having that at the foundation of the program, I think is really powerful. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I love that idea. So moving, moving forward to, we just talked about some remote best practices as an SE, as it relates to onboarding and starting out. Let's switch over to executing as, as an SE your day-to-day -day as an SE, what are some best practices for building and maintaining relationships with your AEs remotely, where you can't just go for a walk or grab a coffee? Um, what are some best ways to, to give and get feedback? And you know, how do you go about getting answers when you're stuck? These are some of those common challenges that when you're in an office, you can just tap someone, ask someone, but there are additional hurdles or layers that exist. Uh, Matt, do you wanna kick us off with this one? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, you know, what it really does boil down to is putting yourself in a mind space that you're in the office and you're around those coworkers and you're, you know, going through those more normal activities. Um, when you're trying to get feedback and when you're trying to give feedback, again, I think it does ultimately boil down to culture. Um, whether you're in person and you don't feel comfortable, you know, tapping someone on the shoulder and asking them for their feedback, you have to almost be that overshare on the platforms you have today. So whether that's giving kudos in your CRM or in your, you know, sales tools, um, if you're using an IM platform, you know, just going in and making sure that that line of communication is open. Um, 
what I love, you know, is having like an internal employee satisfaction score that can be used by AEs to judge or to score their SEs and vice versa. Um, there's some really awesome 360 um, performance evaluation tools out there as well. So, um, you know, making sure that you're in tune with what your reps and your sellers um, think of you and think of your performance um, can only help the team get better, right? You, I've worked at companies where there's a really toxic relationship between AEs and SEs um, and you start to feel that friction um, both in the you know revenue that's being generated for the team but also where reps start to align themselves to particular resources um, and that just creates more friction on the team so if you can have that open dialogue and that communication path um, I don't think that it should change in a remote setting versus being in an office because quite frankly it should be easier to write a couple sentences and say hey I think you dropped the ball than it would be to tap someone on the shoulder, take them out and have that conversation kind of in the public sphere. Um, so yeah, just oversharing in your, in your IM platforms, you know, making sure that you're visible, um, but also letting people know that you're not gonna, you know, bite somebody's head off or snap if they have some critical feedback about the performance. Um, and so it's, it's kind of an individual and a cultural thing, I think that can really, you know, help to foster that relationship. Yeah, I love that point about uh, sometimes oversharing more than what you thought you you actually are because there is that visibility piece of just being there with your your colleagues that if you're not there in the same room or side by side on a desk you you might not get if you're not sharing in these different channels or posting and, and commenting there josh anything to add from your perspective yeah i mean i, I see a theme forming here in all of our answers we talk about culture right and yeah. feedback you need to have kind of a, a feedback driven culture and what we're doing at zendesk is actually moving beyond the 360 reviews right 360 reviews what you do a review every quarter every month and you give some people like some outline of what feedback should be and then they act on it for, for three months but mm -hmm. what we're doing is we're, we're performing we're performing more of a streamlined form of feedback where you can give feedback to anyone at any time after every demo after at any sort of touch point with a customer. And what it does is it normalizes feedback so that instead of feedback being this thing where we build up to it and we receive it and it's like this all encompassing, like, oh, this is how I did this quarter. Right. It's more like, this is how you just did in this particular action. Here's how you can improve. And we keep increasing the cadence of feedback to make it a much more natural thing because mm -hmm. there's two things that need to happen. One, we need to be more comfortable giving people feedback and sharing our ideas, but we also have to be better at receiving feedback. I think they go hand in hand where we don't, I don't want to tell you that you did something wrong or you dropped the ball because I don't want to be confrontational. And the reason I feel that is because I don't think that you are going to be able to handle it, but we mm -hmm. both need to come to terms with that. I need to know, and we need, this needs to basically be a safe space for me to tell you what just happened, for you to take that in and that for us to know that we're not doing it at the detriment of each other, we're doing it to work together to give a better customer experience. And right. so that's where I think there's a big part in building a culture of feedback. And it's really just about open, open communication. And again, having the culture of over communication, high touch points, that will serve really well in allowing you to add this piece on top in this culture stack I think we're like developing a culture stack or something here. That's what it sounds <laughs> like. Back yeah. is one of those pieces, right? Are you going to um, copyright that or? <laughs> yeah, the, lean, the lean culture. Um, then I think the other piece to what we were talking about also surrounds rules of engagement, right? How do you, how do you 
set the rules for your AEs to know how to get the best of you, right? So mm -hmm. when, when are my office hours? Like if you want to talk to me and ask me a random question, is it all the time or should it be during a certain time? When can you book me? Do you want to take the time and every time you have to schedule me in, should you be checking with me? Or can we align and can I say, hey, my calendar is always up to date. You can book me whenever you want. However, if it's an hour demo, you actually need to book me for two hours, one hour ahead of time. So I have the time to prep. Like, what are those rules and what do I need from you? If you're going to book me for a demo, you better make sure that I'm synced and I have all the information going into that. So does that mean you also have to give me a half hour call where we sync up? Is there some sort of document and handoff to me? Are there other things that we need to sync up on? Are there other people we need to bring in? And having those rules of engagement has been really valuable for me. So I actually do did make a point after I got advice from another SC to sit down with my AEs. We have like these team meetings and say, hey guys, I'm gonna present what my rules of engagement are. And then it's not just because I'm being picky, it's because this is what's going to return the best outcome for our customers. If you give me the ability to do things like prep and know these details that might not be obvious to you of wanting to share, here's how I'm going to turn those into winning presentations. And this is how we're gonna win those deals. And so those are the two things that I, I, I would love to add to the conversation here, rules of engagement and, and feedback as a culture. Yeah, no, two, two really good points. Um, and I, I love this, this kind of like culture theme that we're building on top of, right? Because it, when it comes down to it, yeah, being able to build that trusting partnership with your counterpart teams that you're working with is, is critical because we both have the same goals. We want to close deals and win business and uh, just ensuring that we set each other up for success with being very clear and explicit with what we need is, is very important. So I, I love those points. Um, yeah. And what, what I would add to that is like another way to think about it is like, why haven't we been working remotely all this time, even though we all work for companies that have the technology to do it? And it's sure. because a lot of companies didn't have the culture for it, where a manager wants to be able to see who's working. They want to know that people are coming in. Unfortunately, that still exists. It's, it's dwindling, right? But yeah. until we, if COVID didn't happen, we would have had it to wait like three or four years to actually even be close to the amount of remote work we are, we're doing now. And that's because people still have this culture of, I need to be in the office to get that promotion, to be seen. I need to, you know, personal branding, which I'm sure we can, we can touch on and how it's shifted in the remote world. But there is like a problematic, it might, doesn't have to be problematic, but there is a culture of being physically present when we don't necessarily need to be. Yeah, that's actually a perfect segue into one of our next questions, which was diving into how do you actually build this personal brand in a remote environment, right? How do you have your voices heard? I mean, many times, like I've heard from colleagues that um, in a remote or satellite setting, they don't feel included in meetings and planning or collaboration. So I guess what, what are things that in a remote setting we do need to remain very conscious about with promoting uh, and including everyone in this distributed or remote environment? Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the best way to put it kind of in like 2020 terms is you have to put almost as much effort into your personal brand um, at work as you do in like your social media presence. If you think about how much time you'd spend curating a post, some people that like live on Instagram, you know, like if you put that into your professional brand, 
you can really make a big impact. And so when you're thinking about sharing content, when you're thinking about being a thought leader, when you're thinking about being involved in employee resource groups or whatever um, shape and form that takes at the organization, you can make yourself present by almost cultivating and crafting a brand um, that makes you like an internal influencer, for lack of a better term. Like if you're the SE hmm. at an organization who's sharing content and you are the go-to person on compliance, right? Well, you have to know that then you become this trusted advisor and this like thought leader inside your own company. And that becomes your personal brand. Like Matt's the guy who's going to be all over any sort of, you know, data or infosec news that comes through. I know that if I like log in on a Monday morning, there's going to be something weird in the fun random channel. And he's going to be the one who found out what our competitors are up to. Cause he's got like some sort of weird RSS feed that collects all this information on competitor Intel. And like, that's such a cool position to be in, I feel like for an SE, because we do span like marketing and sales and product yeah. and dev. And so if you can also layer on top of that, your own personal brand, that you're like the go-to news source, and you're going to be the one to like get the hot scoop on new features that came out or what big, you know, lighthouse or neon logo customer is upset with, with their tool that they're using that alone is like a cool way to just elevate yourself internally. So you could never step foot into another office, you know, or, or meeting in person again, but people are still going to know you by, by your handle or by the information that you share. And in that you elevate your brand and make everyone better. It sounds like Matt, that might not have been so much of a hypothetical. It sounds like you might have a weird (laughs) RSS feed somewhere uh, on some of this news. Yeah. You know what? I, I I don't have to answer that, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, too funny. Too funny. Yeah, no, I love those points specifically as well. And ensuring what you can be known for internally and and doubling down on that is is an awesome way to build on on that personal brand. Josh, anything to add from your perspective? Absolutely. So for me, personal branding is one of the most important things you can do for your career. If you're not focused on personal branding, you're really kind of just letting your career, it's like up to chance. You're hoping that opportunities come your way and people see you, but you need to take charge of that. And so it's especially important in a remote world to let people know that you're alive. And there's these small things that you can do that I, for whatever reason, don't see specifically SEs do. I see a lot of my AEs do these things, but I don't see SEs do them. It's something as simple as being on camera right? When you join a Zoom and you have your SC on camera and you have the customer on camera, I'm sorry, you had like the AE on camera, you have your customer on camera, but the SEs, it's just like their stock profile picture. It's like get on camera because we need to be visible, but it also adds a little bit of a human touch. We know that you're there and it's not like being on video adds to the conversation per se, but it adds this human touch that's really important. And then you can layer things on top of that. Like if you are going to join a Zoom meeting and go on camera, you can do these humanizing things like waving when you come in or waving when you say bye. That makes it feel like this isn't just a person on a screen. This is an actual human behind that screen and they're normal and they are interacting with me as if we were in real life. And so that's just like some, some small tips that I wish I saw more out of SEs. And it's almost a reminder to myself to do those as well. Um, beyond that, you know, Every, a lot of times you'll get feedback and someone will slack you privately and they'll, they'll say things like, hey, that was a great demonstration. And what I do with that is I say, hey, listen, if you like that, tell my manager, like roll that feedback up the ladder. It's really important because if you let that feedback stay in this like little vacuum of 
one-on-one -on -one messaging, it's, it's doesn't go anywhere, but you can take that. You can have them take the five seconds, feel good for sharing that information. And now your personal brand is boosted across the company really easily. And then along with what Matt said, you know, post on Slack channels, share tips, ask for help, check in on people, invite others to check in on, on you, make it yourself open and available. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think all of those things really flow into personal branding. Um, it makes work a lot more fulfilling as well. Um, as you, as you get to be a part of a community instead of just someone who's a contributor. And I think um, it's all about building presence when you're not there, sharing a physical space. And so beyond that, I think the only other piece here would be to not be afraid to create new lines of communication with people you might have not have generally spoken to, right? So instead of in the office where I might have mostly worked with my peers and had small touch points with my manager, and can now talk directly to my manager. And that's also part of personal branding, right? Put yourself in the higher layers of your company. And I think you'll be surprised what happens when you message your director or your VP or even your CEO. You'll probably get a response back and that's gonna be really huge for you as you kind of grow in. And it's something that, again, takes this weird culture shift to do because you would probably not go to your CEO's door and knock on the door and say, hey, what's up? But with Slack and in a remote world, you can do that. You can totally do that. Wow, those were some incredible points. Uh, it, you both shared things that I had really never considered. And um, I, I knew personal brand it was important, but I feel like it's even more important with a lot of the things you highlighted and you gave some really tangible things uh, that are easy in every SE or everyone really can start doing. Totally. So, uh, yeah, just going going a little deeper, being a distributed SE or working remotely, there it sounds like there are a lot of things that are going well. There's technology that can enable it, and there's a strong culture to support it. But what are some things that, uh, what are some challenges that still exist that um, SE leaders, AE partners, SE enablement, or, or really anyone could could still work on or, or help address. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's definitely a, a powerful question. Um, you know, it, it is all you know, rose colored glasses when you look at, you know, riding the highs of, of a remote world and all the things that are going well. Um, I think that there's definitely still challenges even now around things like data privacy right, that are now very much so being drawn to the forefront. Um, I think that there are people, you know, who, it, this has been a big adjustment. There's a lot of anxiety um, in just like the changes that are happening, right? Folks are being forced to work and sleep sometimes in the same room, right? And so yeah. being, I think, empathetic to the fact that not everyone has the best setup, not everyone has the ability to work at their best. I mean, I consider myself very lucky that, um, you know, I'm in a space where I can separate my bedroom, my kitchen, my office. Um, I don't have to care for any young children. I don't have to pick up anyone from daycare. I'm not worried about my kids playing outside and potentially like, you know, catching something or, you know, being injured. I don't have to worry about pets in any way, shape or form, but that's the reality that I think humanizes us to Josh's point. Um, so making sure that people feel comfortable, like if you have a crying baby and you need to pick them up and put them on your lap during a call, like that's totally okay. That's just the new normal. Like that's what we're living in. Dogs yeah. are going to bark and, you know, cars are going to honk on the street. There's going to be sirens. Like that's all part of this new normal that I think we're all adjusting to. Um, and I really like that being remote is forcing us to 
stop being so like black and white on things. We're almost able to be gray, like the amount of calls I've been on where my internet's dropped or I get the robot voice and, you know, so mid demo, you have to refresh your browser. Like that's just kind of the way it is. And I think that everybody is now kind of giving each other like a little bit of slack. You know, they're saying it's okay to not be perfect. And so we should also apply that to some of the relationships we have with our own coworkers. We should be like a little bit more willing to say, hey, you're a couple minutes late to this call. There's probably something going on in your personal life that's leading to that. Let's just address it and then move past it. Um, so I try and keep that top of mind and everything and what I'm going through now. Yeah, wow, really love that. Like bringing, uh, sounds like leading with empathy in a lot of interactions and uh, because of what's happened, it's forcing uh, us to bring more of our lives into work because they're just so intertwined right now. Uh, I'm one of those people who sleeps and works in the same room. So everything is so intertwined. Uh, Josh, anything you would add to that? I think the only thing I would add to that is a warning about the separation of work and, and private life. And Matt kind of alluded to this earlier where you were talking about being available at all times and like being on vacation or someone's pregnant and they're still answering their Slack. And I, I think that is like beautiful, high availability, but it's super dangerous. And I don't think it's always sustainable. And so I think it's interesting. And one thing you have to focus on as a remote worker, because we're all working in our homes where there isn't that separation. And that's actually the dangerous part where, where does my workday end? Where does my off, like, at what point does my office end? And what point am I at work? Am I not at work? And am I spending enough time on all the things outside of my work life that's going to help me stay recharged so that when I am at work, I'm performing well, but I'm also giving the rest of my life the right attention. And so I think that's the only thing I would, I would add to that is that all, all of the benefits of remote work come with like this stark warning of with great power comes great responsibility or something, something like that. Some, something along those uh, those lines that I yeah. think Spider-Man uh, once said, but uh, yeah, being being too, it, and it's true though, it's being too connected to the pulse does have its, its downsides, right? But uh, from our conversation today, we found that to some extent, it's critical to have a culture that we need in this, this new distributed or remote environment. So uh, I, I absolutely love that and think that that's actually a perfect way to, to wrap some of the core discussion here. Um, but yeah, those are such great answers, uh, Josh and Matt, about thriving as a, a remote SE. But before we wrap the episode, uh, Alex and I do uh, some rapid fire questions that we ask to every single guest. So you guys are, are gonna go through some of the rapid fire questions. I'll ask one question and then um, we can do both answers. But the first question to get us started with the rapid fire is what book has greatly influenced your professional or personal life? And Josh, feel free to take the first one. Yeah, certainly. And at the risk of sounding cliche, and I'm sure many people are going to have this answer. It's The Alchemist. I don't read much. So that was a really, it's a, great book. It's a really good book. You, you can pick it up really fast. You can read it. It's a good book to recommend other people. And yeah. it's just about talking about how life is in me. Enjoy the ride. There's going to be things that work out, things that don't, but you have to just trust in the process and that things are going to work out and that you will fulfill whatever purpose you are here to fulfill. And so I, I just like it as a, as a nice quick read. That's awesome. What about you, Matt? Uh, the last book that I finished was uh, Kindred by Octavia Butler. 
and very much so not the book that I was uh, expecting to pick up, but transformational, just not the like usual type of like, you know, kind of either fan fiction or, um, you know, like the, the freakaholics type or freakonomics rather like type of book. Like it wasn't that sort of book, but it wasn't, I wasn't able to put it down. And it was kind of interesting to me to be drawn into a book that very much so like challenges the way that you think about things or that you're acting in your day to day. Um, so very much so would encourage everybody to pick that up and give it a read. Wow. Yeah. I love reading articles or consuming content or reading books that challenge the way I think. Um, those are always such great reads. So moving on to the next question, what is some of the worst professional advice you've ever been given? Matt, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. Some, some of the worst advice that I was ever given, and it's very customer centric, was to prioritize revenue over a frustrated customer. Um, and I know that it came from a place of, you know, you have to prioritize your activities and, you know, new revenue versus, you know, maybe a frustrated email. You can park one and deal with it later. Um, but it really stuck with me as particularly bad professional advice. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, you should treat every customer like they could be your biggest. And in a, in a you know, static eight-hour workday, you do need to prioritize what activities you work on. But um, just the idea that a net new customer is somehow worth more you know, than an existing customer really like rubbed me as bad professional advice um, because just having empathy for all customers, they could end up becoming, you know, your biggest advocate or your, you know, your biggest detractor. And so um, I really, you know, like to treat all customers equally regardless of size, shape, you know, ARR attached. Um, and so that was particularly bad advice that I try to forget as often as possible. I love that. That is such great <laughs> bad advice. Uh, Josh, anything, what's some of the worst professional advice you've ever gotten? I think the, I love this question, by the way, it's, it's a great question to ask and I've just never been asked it before, but it, it brings up like this memory I had from a long time ago where I was working towards getting a promotion. I didn't get in the end. And when I asked for feedback, Hey, why didn't I get that? Can you kind of like help me determine what I need to do next so that the next time it comes around, I can get it. And what I was told was that I don't dress the way that they wanted me to dress. And it was such an interesting thing. It's like they wanted me, it was kind of an old school mentality where they think that you have to dress for the job you want. And I think that in this case, it meant a dress shirt that was tucked in and I work in tech. And that's the reason I work in tech is because I, I don't want to wear dress shoes and I don't want to wear dress pants and, and things <laughs> like that. And so it was almost like someone asking me to align myself with the status quo, align myself with, with pre-existing expectation. And I think that, I think there was, there, there's good advice in there somewhere. It's just kind of misdirected. And then what I found is as I start to work for companies that are more open, that have better culture, the Zendesks of the world, the Slacks of the world, what you find is that the more a company celebrates how you stand out, the better work you can do. Because now it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm empowered, I'm elevated, I'm energized to be who I am and bring who I am to the table versus just doing what status quo is. And so that's the worst advice I've ever got. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, sorry you had to go through that. And it's, uh, yeah. that's not, it sucks to hear that. Josh, you, you dress just fine. You're okay. Yeah. You, Thanks, you, look, you look great on the Zoom. You look great. This is my favorite shirt. <laughs> 
So flipping this question on its head, what's some of the best professional advice you've ever been given? Josh, do you want to start us out? Yeah, I'll tell you what the best professional advice I was ever given was. Um, and, and this is a bit personal to me, but I had like an interesting relationship with money. I think a lot of us that come from technical backgrounds, we look at these lucrative roles in, in sales and we say like, no, we don't want to be that person and we don't want to be money hungry and we don't want to live this life of like more and more, more and tricking people into buying things. And what I found was I was vilifying myself for wanting money and wanting to progress. And so I had someone sit me down and say, listen, don't vilify yourself for wanting money and wanting to, to, to progress your career. And once I kind of had that shift in my mind, that's when I realized that roles like sales, roles like sales engineers, they provide true value to the world if you do it in an honest and empathetic way. And when you have that, you will be compensated accordingly. And so it's changed this sort of mindset I had where I would have kind of just stayed where I was and been happy with the work I was doing because I enjoyed the work I was doing, but wasn't getting enough to live the lifestyle I wanted. It allowed me to kind of look for other opportunities where I can take my skill set, still help in the ways that I've been helping, add huge value, and then get compensated accordingly. And so that's something I share with a lot of people because I think a lot of people also have that mindset it's, it's buried below some layers and it can depend on how you were brought up and what your relationship with money is but i see it all the time where people have like this disdain for for, for people in sales or these lu really lucrative job roles or money is the root of all evil sort of mindset and so yeah shed that lose that as soon as you can and you'll be happy you did well yeah that's great advice really getting to some of those like uh deeper core values that people might hold. Yeah. Matt, what about yourself? What's some of the best professional advice you've ever been given? Yeah, I was uh, kind of still on the, on the customer advocacy side. Um, I was, it was either someone who told it to me in person or they were relaying a message from a podcast they'd listened to, but they said that the customer relationship is over when you stop fighting. Um, and that really stuck with me because, you know, a lot of times, especially in, you know, even a remote setting, you lose the, the nuances of communication, right? Where you can't really pick up the tones that someone's saying, or you don't know that they're upset when they really are. And a lot of people are focused on all of these, you know, angry messages that you get. You don't typically get praise emails from customers. Um, you know, sometimes you do. Sometimes, you know, it's, hey, I really enjoyed that sales cycle or, oh, I'm really loving the product. Um, but oftentimes, if you're on more of the post-sale side of things, you know, you, you hear, you know, kind of the negative, this isn't working, or I'm not satisfied with this feature, or this doesn't work the way I think it should. Um, but just keeping the mindset that, you know, the customer relationship is over when you stop hearing from them. Um, and I think that's really true of, you know, interpersonal relationships, it's true of the vendor and customer relationship. Um, and I think that as an SE, you know, it is really important to, to note, and I'm sure we've all gone through this, you know, when the audience is quiet, when you ask for feedback, that's typically not good. It's not like it's been the wow moment for the entire 45 or 60 minute demo. So it, it's, I think, very true that you need to have a little bit of healthy conflict. You know, if you're not being challenged or if you're not being, um, you know, asked to be better or if you're not being, uh, you know, pursued to explain more, um, then, then you know the relationship isn't there. Um, I'm a big advocate for healthy conflict. Um, I think that that's really where you grow as an individual and as an organization. Um, and that uh, that professional advice stuck with me because a lot of people are very adverse 
or stray away from conflict, where I think that that's really kind of where you, you know, you break those muscles or you, um, you know, break down those, those areas of focus. And that's what helps you grow and get bigger and stronger. Um, so yeah, so just never shy away from a hard conversation. I guess that's the moral of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I love that advice as well. Uh, Josh, Matt, you two have shared some incredible insights. So as we wrap up this episode, uh, before we wrap, are there any closing remarks, anything we haven't talked about that you'd like to chat about? Um, are you hiring right now, either of your organizations? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. So, oh. No, go for it, Josh. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, no closing remarks. I'm really happy with kind of our talk track here and what we covered. I think there's a lot to unpack. And you know, maybe we'll come back on when we have some more time to kind of elaborate. I would love to do that with, with Matt. In terms of job roles available, uh, I'm not privy to what our particular job postings are, but if anyone who's listening, if you see a job role posted at Zendesk or really any other company and you want some help applying, prepping, you just wanna talk about solutioning, if there's anything I can do to help you get a job, I, I, I will make time for you to do that. Um, set me up on LinkedIn. I'm happy to take the time to help other people grow. It's um, really part of who I am and who I want to continue to be. Yeah, and, and just really kind of to round things out, um, love what you guys are doing here with the podcast. Um, really appreciate you you've making some space for us here in this episode. Um, you know, just really love that there's this community forming around um, sales engineers, solutions engineers, the entire pre-sales community. And, um, you know, I think that it's its organizations and its initiatives like this that are going to help us all, you know, really cement our place in the industry and start to really build out that, um, you know, that niche role within the sales community. Um, so anything that we can do to help any organization or any individual, you know, to, to thrive in that environment, you know, feel free to reach out to Josh or I. Um, Lever has a whole whack of jobs posted. We're kind of reopening up some requisitions. So uh, if you see anything that does strike your, your interest, you know, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Happy to uh, explain to you why Lever is a really great company. Wow, what a great episode. We wanted to take a second and thank you for listening. We appreciate you and hope this episode helps you learn and grow in your career as an SE and in your professional life. If you found this conversation as insightful as we did, please share the podcast with a teammate or your team and let us know what you think by subscribing and rating wherever you listen. Finally, if there are any topics or speakers you think would be great for the podcast, please use the email alias in the show notes to reach us. We'll see you next time on the edge of sales engineering.